Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 114th episode of the JDO Show. I am your host, J. David Osborne, and today on the show we have Scott Adlerberg, the author of Jack Waters, Graveyard Love, Jungle Horses, and Spiders and Flies, which I always forget to mention because it's not a Broken River book. Today on the show, we talk about movies, we talk about mean art, we talk about this very strange and uh, slightly upsetting trend of having sensitivity readers for your books just to make sure that, you know, you don't hurt anybody's feelings. Seems a little, I don't know, odd. Then we argue about conspiracies for a little bit. All in all, I'd say it's a pretty fun chat. Before we get to it, though, a little bit of housekeeping. I have a Patreon now. That's patreon.com slash JDO. If you go to it, there will be an extra episode of this very show every week, which is wild. The very first episode had me talking about something that I commonly see when I'm editing other people's work, so it's a little writing tip. The second episode has uh, Rob Hart, author of Potter's Field and the upcoming The Warehouse, talking about exercise and how that fits into uh, creating a consistent and clear writing practice. So if that's something that would be interesting to you, do head over to patreon.com slash JDO and subscribe. It's $4 a month. You get a new episode every week in addition to these free episodes. So that is all the content, all the good content. One more thing. Wait, two more things. The first other thing is that the Broken River Review is now available for purchase on Amazon.com. $2.99 for the Kindle, $5.99 for the physical book. It's short. There are two pieces of fiction and two pieces of nonfiction. The fiction pieces are by Nick Mamatas and Steve Rasnick Tim, and the nonfiction essays are by Benjamin Whitmer and James Salas, the dude who wrote Drive, one of my favorite authors of all time. He was very, very cool, super nice guy. I'm really glad that I was able to uh, publish some of his work. So head on over to Amazon and check that out. It's a quick and easy read and also very illuminating, I think, overall. And of course, the last thing is that if you need anything edited, if you need your manuscript cleaned up, please do email me at jdavidosborne at gmail.com and we will talk. All right, that's it. That's all I got. Please do enjoy this 114th episode of the JDO Show featuring Mr. Scott Adlerberg. Just press the button okay. here. All right. Hey, Scott Adlerberg, thank you for – what is this, your third appearance on the JDO Show or is it your fourth? Third third, third or fourth. I think it's the fourth actually, yeah. Oh, you're tied, you're tied with Jordan <laughs> A now. A veteran. Oh, me and – oh, my God. Okay. I don't – Jordan's a nice guy, but I don't think I'd want to fight with him. I think underneath – he might be a little scarified. I'm not quite sure. So I'm not. I'm not really like willing to go to the mattresses with Jordan on that. <laughs> yeah, no. There's something. There's something lurking. Just he has a lot of that uh, L.A. confidential didn't work out rage that he needs to take out somewhere. <laughs> right. It's perfectly not on me. So uh, you know. But I'm happy to be tied with him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well. Well. So. Uh, so yeah, man. How are How are things? Oh, they're good. Pretty good. It's been a good summer. Um, Getting a lot of writing done. Went up to you know uh, to upstate New York with uh, some other some other writers for a couple a couple of weekends ago. Just hung out and like a, mar- a couple of marathon sessions. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Get away from everything. That was really good. And um, I think we've been talking a little bit. I've been um, you know I always try to get exercise, but I've been going on a conscious kick this summer, like going to the gym a lot more. I can't really run anymore. I used to like running. Unless I live like near a track or a beach, which I know it's just too hard on the legs, on the mm-hmm. knees, really is. I, I like to run. 
Yeah. But um, it's just to our so I've been going to the gym and doing more like lifting, you know, using the weights for the machines, sit ups. Uh, and it's great. It's been fun. And I use the bike a lot, like a mixture of cardio and the machines. So yeah, it's really, it's been really this, good. What I love about this recent times now is like you, me, I know Rob Hart is in the gym a lot. I know, mm. uh, I always see pictures of Justin Porter on uh, Instagram and he's in, you know, great shape. He does stuff with cattle he's in good shape. Uh, and you know, it's just, it, it actually is cool. Um, at the risk of sounding like kind of a, a dickhead, but you know, Hey, Everybody should know. Everybody should know who I am by now. It is kind of just nice to see writers that are in shape. David Keaton's another one. He's a big guy. Okay. Gabino, yeah. you know, like all these guys. Like it's good to just see. I mean, women too, but but men especially. Like it's just it's nice to see people taking care of themselves. You know, and kind of. It, it, it really is. I mean, you know, just I mean to be polite about it, but there's really no reason just because you like write or do anything else, you can't keep yourself in halfway. And it also, you know, aside from just it's good for your health, um, it's good for your energy level. It helps. It helps. If nothing else, it helps with writing. Even if that's all you care about, because you're in better shape. Your back doesn't hurt. You're not achy. You know, you feel mm-hmm. better. You're more alert. It, it's all. It all helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and um, for me, it's you know, I have a gym pretty close to where I live. It's about a mile away, so I mm. drive over to it, but. You know, from the time that I get into my car to the time that I get back home and make my little protein shake, we're talking maybe an hour and 15 minutes, an hour mm-hmm. and a half. I mean, out of the day, it's not a huge, it's not a huge investment. It just, it sucks, you know? So. Right. You just, sometimes, you know, no, it really is like you have to put yourself through some pain to get anything. But yeah, same. I mean, I go to a Y, that's a nice gym. And that's actually like uh, to and from work very easily. So I usually do it after work. But on the weekdays, stop off 45 minutes, an hour, hour and then I get on the train in a moment, like 10 minutes. Yeah, isn't that or why, like right by your house? Isn't that the one you walk by? Or is that a school that has that big, that fence right there? Oh, no, that's a school. Yeah, you know, oh, this okay. one I take, I, I take the subway, but it's it's like really with the walk from the house. I went there today on a weekend, 15, 20 minutes. I mean, it's nothing, you know, it's, it's really nothing. It's funny. I was um, listening to a bunch of podcasts lately and a lot of podcasters are moving into your exact area because they'll sort of talk about like things that they're doing and they'll talk about like, <laughs> oh yeah, I went down Casiasco or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, or not even just that, but just the areas when I'm in Brooklyn and I'm usually when I'm in New York, I'm staying with you. Uh, mm. It's just all these streets that I kind of recognize. I'm like, oh, Scott's neighborhood is getting uh, uh, pod- <laughs> podcasted up. It's the, it's I the heart. Did, I didn't heart, realize it's the, that. It's the fourth horsemen of the of the gentrification <laughs> apocalypse when you become a fucking <laughs> podcast hub i didn't realize that. i know Brooklyn. you know brooklyn is true and williamsburg and, and, and definitely Bed-Stuy. i didn't realize it was podcast uh, that's funny podcast yeah. central now as well as everything yeah, else yeah, yeah it's yeah. a cool area though man i mean i really like uh hanging out around there i think that i still think i don't know if i could live there i mean of course you can't you've lived there most of your mm-hmm. life so i mean you know for you it's probably it was when you went to that writer's retreat was it weird to hear did you hear crickets was it was it too quiet <laughs> well, i will say like that's the old cliche but like you go a city person goes down to the country and it's like i can't concentrate out here it's too quiet uh-huh. you know it, it wasn't it wasn't it is really it is really quiet no that's true but 
Now, I, I like the country, so I don't, I don't, it doesn't throw me off. But I know we were talking when you were last year, you were talking about that sometimes you get that sort of like, um, what would I call it exactly? That sort of like David Osborne, Oklahoma, Texas, I like open spaces. I'm yeah. not sure I'm liking where I am right now. Yeah. Kind of look yeah. in your eyes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, no. I can see, I can sort of see it when it's coming. You know, it's yeah, it's like a caged I'm... animal. It's like, <laughs> okay, I'm here. It's cool. There's literally anything that you want to do in New York up to, and probably including, you know, murdering somebody and getting away with it <laughs> hostile style. Any, any, any pleasure that you want, forget Las Vegas. You can do mm. it in, in New York, but you'll find it. But that, for me, that wears off, and I'm like, oh my god, give me nothing to do at all. Just, <laughs> just no flashing lights, no honking, you know. Eventually, because for me, it's for me growing up. If you heard honking outside your window and people shouting, that meant somebody was going to be shot. Something you, really serious is happening, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's Tuesday. That's Tuesday and Thursday. You know. No, and the thing is, it's funny too. Like on the subway, <clears throat> rush hour, you know, someone gets, you know, sick on the train or something like legitimately sick or something. Like the most common reaction basically is like people are just, well, we're sorry, there's, a, you know, the train's delayed, there's a passenger, a sick passenger in the subway car or in the train ahead of us. And like to a person, everyone's like, oh, fuck, you know what? Just get that person <laughs> off the train. So you get, get the stretcher, just someone grab their legs, someone grab their feet, haul, put them on the platform, let's keep it moving. <laughs> yeah, no shit, right? It's like, oh, God. Well, And then you start hating them personally. Like, why did you get on the train if you knew <laughs> exactly. you were sick? If you knew you were going to, like, if you knew you were going to get sick and just piss off 10,000 people on these shows. Why did you do that? <laughs> Nerve! <laughs> There's a scene in an old comedy movie called Bruce Almighty, where uh, it's mm -hmm. with Jim Carrey, where he gets all the powers of God. But there's a scene at the beginning, I think he lives in Los Angeles in the film, and he's stuck in traffic, and he's like, oh my God, Like this is the absolute worst day of my <laughs> life. And like as he's saying that, a stretcher's rolling by him, and like lights are going on. <laughs> It was a it was a great gag. I love that. I love the, I love the visual. Yeah, no, that is a great. Gag. But that's I mean you know, now you know with uh, you know obviously like family life and stuff. I don't run around and do things. But before you know, for many many years before that, like I could wake as a movie person, for example. Yeah. Wake up on any given day and it's like I wonder what I could you know what am I gonna do today? I could, so I could there are five six. I don't mean like new movies. You know there are always new right. movies. Those are playing everywhere. But there were five, six movies I've never seen or I've seen wouldn't mind seeing again in Revive on any given day. And just to go here, 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 here you know, that, that still exists, really. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's just move. I'm sure it's the same with music or art or all that stuff, of course. Right. It's, right. you know. Yeah, whenever there's a movie great. that comes out that I want to see, I always check the dates and it's like available in New York and Los Angeles. Like, <laughs> yeah, and know. then, you know, a few weeks will go by. It's like available in New York, Los Angeles, Portland. Seattle <laughs> and Austin, you know, and I'm right. like, fuck, like, because yes. nothing, nothing's coming to fucking El Paso unless well, it's Paso, definitely mainstream. Yeah. yeah, you're pretty far. I know Portland must be good for that, but no, you're pretty far out. In El Portland Paso was good. That. Portland was good, but you know, and it's, I mean, we do have an Alamo, which is nice. So the Alamo Draft House will get some yeah. pretty, pretty cool stuff. Um, mm. But 
I think it's funny. I mean, you know, we don't get a whole bunch of indie stuff. I really want to see that movie Eighth Grade. It's been getting really good reviews. Oh, that's been getting good reviews. I yeah. saw a preview actually at the Alamo. Where I, oh no, one, shit. Okay, yeah. They have one in, they have one in Brooklyn. And it's within walking distance. Those actually. are those are great, yeah. man. Those are awesome. Oh man, I love it, those. It, it gets I, my my fucking snitch instinct comes out, and I'm like, I can tattle on people for talking. <laughs> I'm like, God, first, I love this place. First of all, the first time I went. I was like, you know, the, you know, the, like the thing they flash before the movie starts. If you talk, you will be thrown. If you're on your cell phone, you'll get one mm-hmm. warning. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is my kind of movie place. Yes. You know, right. Definitely. I'm, they I'm, take I'm it 100% really anti fascist until I get into that movie theater and, I, <laughs> and I've paid $12 to watch a movie. It's like, you will you will shut the fuck up. You, you will, will shut the hell up. I know. No, that's <laughs> right. Well, one of my favorite things is like, you know, sometimes you go to these kind of movies. Um, like an art house, for lack of a better word, movie. And usually, often the worst offenders in those movies are old people, to be honest. 100%. And it'd be like, you know, watching The Conformist by Bernardo Bertolucci or something. Why did he say that for? Wait, I don't get that part. It's, it's it, inevitably. You know, it wasn't like some young smarmy person. Uh-huh. Or inev- inevitably, it was like someone who's old. Right, and I yeah, you, know, you just what the fuck is it? And, but well, the they good thing about the that fucking is you, movie to each other. They it's what they, it's what I, uh, people do when they go to the movie. They they right. some for me, I don't necessarily hear questioning so much, but it does feel like there will be a couple that is always close enough so that I can hear them. And the guy, it's always the guy. The guy is like that happened uh, because I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, you've seen that happens like, a lot. I'm like, right. shut up, <laughs> Well, the good thing with an old person is if they're close, I, I feel no bones and no intimidation, very, very, you know, being very courageous, uh-huh. turning around and really giving them a mean glare because you're yeah. like, you know, they're <laughs> 70s. I could probably beat them up, so I'll do it. <laughs> it's New York. If you told them to shut the fuck up, it would just be like politely shushing somebody in any other place. So, I mean, you could do that. <laughs> You know? you could, well, I wait. I don't think actually. Yeah, it was active. I had a little anecdote. If you remember, in um, which I took verbatim in in the very beginning of Summerfield's film, the story. Yeah. Th- and this, I took this exactly. It was a very famous woman because there are these people in New York who do nothing but go to the movies all day. They were all pretty. They were all old. They're mm-hmm. retired. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So they're retired and they're like complete movie fanatics. And you'll see. And I used to since I used to like have a night job for many years and go to a lot of these movies. I was often, you know, like the Film Forum or Walter Reed, these really great theaters, um, often the only person in the theater was like under the age of like 45 at the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone else. And you, same faces. I mean, they really know their movies, but very eccentric types. What do you And you hear them talking before the movie. Well, I'm going to do this on Monday. I'm going to go over there Tuesday. I have three movies on Wednesday. We're gonna, and there was this one woman, they actually did a little documented documentary about her called uh, Roberta. And she would talk and mumble to herself a lot. In the, she was everywhere, every oh, like all these movies. Mm-hmm. And she often brought food. She started crackling the bags open. So, so I went into this movie theater, the Walter Reed on the Upper West Side, and it was pretty empty. Like nobody was there. I sat down, and I think I saw like something, some somebody stuff, two three seats down. But it's a good spot. I figured that's far enough away. Sure enough. The person comes in, just she'd gone to the bathroom or something, and sits in that spot with this stuff, and it was Roberta. Mm. And the, the theater was really empty. So I was like, you know, I don't want to sit near Roberta. She's going to start talking to herself. She talked she talk about a running commentary, but to her right. self. Right. And she crackles open her bag or whatever. So I moved, like, back a step, you know, like a row or two, and I went a, a, across the theater. It's a really wide theater. 
And she got up and looked at me and she said, and she didn't know me. I mean, I've seen her all the time. I don't think she, she uh-huh. basically was like, um, well, you could have just told the bitch to move. You didn't have to be nasty. You could have told the bitch. She was like a 70 year old woman, this lady. God damn. Sometimes I love New York City so much. I love hearing about shit like that, but, you know, living in it. Well, I mean, but other places have their. I feel like every other place has the exact same interactions, but it's just below the surface right and i think mm-hmm. that that's reflected in a lot of uh southern southern writers that kind of simmering tension that's like just below mm. the surface it's because all of our interactions you can have the nicest uh conversation not conversation but just interaction with let's say a, wait- mm. a waitress at applebee's and so mm. much stuff is going on the exact same script it just read a different way you know what i mean yeah. like like you're you're every what would you like I'd like this. Would you like fries with that? Okay. But it's just, it's this niceness, but the body language is doing something. People just don't have an outlet for it. And in New York, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's just, it's cultural to release that as soon as you feel something. Right. (laughs) I don't know know if it's better or worse, but it's different. No, right. It's different, right. It's it's a little less repressed or whatever, but right, it's just different. That's all. But it, it's funny though. It can be it can be really funny. Oh, right. What I, I, what I was going to say earlier is that you know, it's like we don't get any of these cool indie films. We did get Hereditary, which I loved. But um on the movie theater that Rios and I go to, there's a poster for the new Dinesh D'Souza film. It's like Who Stole oh my America? Goodness. And I'm uh, like, yeah. like that motherfucker, I don't know why he's making movies. He should still be in jail. You yeah, he he really should be in jail, right? And actually, there are probably some people in jail who could and should be making movies. Yeah, you know? no, exactly, but he's not. Yeah. He is not one of them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but anyway, no, so, that, so you get you yeah. get that kind of shit in Texas. It's like, yeah, I guess this would be the audience for the Dinesh D'Souza movie. When when we went to go watch, um, oh hell, what was it? I think it might have been. Hereditary. Anyway, the guy in mm. front of us was buying tickets. Uh, it's an old white guy. They're hard to find mm. in El Paso, but they they go to, they, <laughs> they go to the movies. And he was uh, going to see Sicario too, and he was like, "Can I get a ticket for Sicario?" Sicario. And I'm like, "You've lived. You unless you're a recent transplant, which I don't know why you would move out into the middle of the desert at 70 years old. Considering how old you are, you have to have lived here for a while, and you don't know any Spanish." at all like not even not even the proper pronunciation of a title and it made me wonder if he was doing that on purpose i couldn't right you know what i mean like i will not pronounce spanish correctly it 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 could very well have been just really i mean how obtuse do you have to be to live in a place that well you've got to pick up a few words right and when you're surrounded by when you're surrounded by another language yeah you you have to pick up i would bet it was on purpose he's just being an asshole and a stubborn you know i'm not going to talk to your language he has to i mean who you know, unless he's actually like, you know, mentally deficient, which he probably isn't probably in a, you know, in a genuine way, you know, he wants yeah. to, yeah, yeah, no, it's right. And that's, did you see Sicario too? Yeah, yeah, no, I did. Did you like it? Um, I did. I liked, I mean, it's different. It, I thought it was much more of a straight genre film than the first, the first one had more, um, it was, I liked the first one a lot for lack of a better word, it had more pretensions, more, you know, it was trying to do more things yeah. than just be a thriller. Yeah. And Sicario too. You haven't, you haven't watched, uh, seen Gamora, have you? Oh, um, no, I, I love Gamora. Well, the movie. Yeah. But there's a the movie was great. There's a very good, the director of Sicario too is, um, 
Stefano Salima, Italian okay. director. He's Italian. Right. And he's actually the son of a great famous Italian director, Sergio Salima. I mean, the next best spaghetti westerns to Leone. Mm-hmm. Pretty mm-hmm. much everyone mm-hmm. agrees with that. Um, but he made, a, a, he's made a, he made one great movie, Sabora. A great, I would couldn't recommend that more. It's like in the in the class of like Goodfellas, oh, classic. He did, he did Sicario too. He did Sicario too, first oh, English language yeah. movie. Okay. And but what I was going to say, Gamora and Sabor, Gamora, the TV show, the series. There were three series, three seasons so far. I saw the first two on Netflix, and Sabora. One thing they had in common. Now I realize, having seen a bunch of his stuff with Sicario two, he's like a master of internecine warfare because that's mm, what Sicario two okay. came down to. And Gamora is like these two gangs, different rival factions, gangs, drug gangs in, in in southern Italy, you know, Naples and stuff. And same thing, and because I, I you, you never know when a good director from abroad comes here, they're going to make him water down stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the old story. Mm-hmm. And I thought Sicario too was pretty nasty. It really didn't compromise. Well, the oh, Americans were no thing. better than anybody else. That's I mean, the thing. It it's really... uh, with with Sicario, the first film, which I didn't act, I didn't care for um, mm. because I did feel like it was kind of a it was kind of a generic script that just ha- was elevated by the sheer talent of the cinematography and the director, yeah, the actors. Yeah, no, he's he's a terrific director for yeah, stuff like yeah. that. The, yeah, the yeah. script, the script though, just it never elevated itself for me. But with uh, Sicario Two, you know, I love mean art, and I read an interview with the director, and he was talking about how he like, yeah, in this movie, he's like, I just tried to make everybody as nasty as possible, and I was like, oh, I, <laughs> right. I, I actually like that. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, that actually makes me curious to see it. If it pull, if it doesn't pull punches, you know, and it's just a couple of bastards like Duke basically going back like, and forth, going back and forth. I can fuck with that. I can get into yeah. that. Yeah, and that's kind of what it was. I mean, they were really no James Brolin's character and the other. They really were going. It, everyone was pretty. Both sides were all. They were all pretty nasty. And it, like the massacre at the end, when they just go and just kill those guys on the trucks. Mm. Right. I mean, mm. they were just standing up, stand up, and he just mows them down. Right, James right, Brolin, and that I thought it was good for that. It really was. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, again, very well shot. I wasn't surprised. If you've seen his other stuff, I mean, really well shot. You know, the, the direction, all that stuff was good. But I was impressed with how nasty it was. Also, I'm looking for more are... books that are nasty. I haven't found books lately that have really like knocked. I'm trying to write them. To be honest with you, I'm trying to write like mm. the, the meanest books that I can. Because I went, I went back. I don't know how much of a comic book reader you are, but I went back to um, the series that I loved when I was younger called, uh, oh shit, sorry. My, when I said series, my phone thought I said Siri and just turned on. <laughs> Very creepy. But um, anyway, so I went back to the series called Stray Bullets by a guy named David Laffham, and he would mm. write and illustrate these comics. And so very little censorship, especially at this like late 90s, early 2000s era of comics there were people who were taking these incredible risks you go back and these comics are wildly offensive well, i guess it goes all the way back to underground comics are crumb that kind of stuff but anyway <clears throat> so stray bullets is our interlinked crime stories uh set anywhere from the the late 70s to the late 90s right <clears throat> okay and so i'm reading through like for example the first story is about these um these two hitmen who have murdered a woman and they have her in the trunk of their car and they're driving, they get a flat tire late at night and one of them is a little bit mentally deficient and the other one is just a scuzzball. Mm-hmm. And so they're just kind of talking back and forth and the mentally deficient one thinks that the dead woman is his girlfriend now because 
they basically raped her before they killed her, right? Oh, right, right. So dark, very dark, right? Very nasty, yeah, yeah, very, na- very nasty, and so, like, they basically, a cop pulls up, and, of course, things go south. The mentally deficient one shoots the cop. They stuff the cop in the trunk. They go to oh, they go to a gas station, and the guy goes in to pee, and when he comes out to pee, he sees, he thinks that someone's looking in the trunk, and he doesn't want anybody to look at his girlfriend, so he begins, oh, like, shooting the people around the car, and then they decide to, a cook comes out with a shotgun, and they shoot him, and then they decide they have to kill everybody in the little diner that's attached to the gas station, so that by the end of it, they're driving around with a car full of dead bodies and, and, and the trunk is stuffed and it becomes very blackly comical and i won't tell you how it wraps up just in case you ever that sounds it. great okay yeah that kind of tone right that's right really, it's right. just just right. there's nothing out there right now that's do like that's doing that kind of just amoral real mm. nasty kind of stuff and that's that's what i crave man that's what i want. I, have, I have a come up you're right that's a good point i hadn't thought of that but in in books i haven't come across anything like that you know, whether I was in the mood or not, just like where even just browsing around, I was struck by like, wow, that looks just like down, dirty and nasty. I haven't I can't think of anything recently where, you know, there's a lot of snarkiness and people mm-hmm. like try to make, you know, jokes in bad taste, you mm-hmm. know, on purpose you know, sure. like, yeah. or that kind of tone, like black comedy and bad taste. But just something that's like you just described <clears throat> or even something on the level of Sicario, which is a high end kind of movie. You know, just basically like straight out balls to the wall, nasty. Gamora, you you love Gamora. I think you should check oh, that I, out. Oh, I one hundred percent. You know, it's been in my yeah. queue forever. I'm so bad about sitting down to watch movies. Keaton has to twist my arm to be like, sit down, watch this movie, so we have something to talk about <laughs> for the, during yeah. the podcast. The, the movie or just the show on Netflix, the series. It's you know, it's yeah. uh, each each series, each season. I think it was ten or twelve episodes. But if you want, that kind of has that sort of like you're talking about stray bullets. Maybe not so much black humor, but just like you want, even, you know, some a couple of friends of mine, Wallace Strobe was the one who actually mentioned it to me, the, the series. And he was saying, like, after a while, I just had to stop for a few days because it's just like everyone is unremittingly like nasty and double yeah. dealing and betray. And it's it's great. And oh, the, you know, the music's great. The, the way it's shot is great. The acting is great. So everything is first class, but it's got that nasty that nasty edge. You well, know. People forget how huh? much fun that can be. I think that the thing that we have now is we have nihilism, but it's nihilism with all of the, this is going to sound weird, but all the joy sucked out of it. And you can have, mm. you can have joyful nihilism in art. Mm-hmm. I think. And that can be so cathartic, you know, where fuck it, burn the world. Let's have a party. Who cares? Like fight club, fight club was kind of like that when it came fight out. club kind of was like, I mean, you know, now it's, you know, people have their thing. Pulp Fiction, I mean, um, Reservoir Dogs was like that. It was. First, when, when the impact I hit with it was just that kind of gleeful nihilism. No apologies. I'm going to, you know, we're going to um, razor blade this guy's ear off and he's doing a dance and the music. And you're yeah, like, oh, my yeah. God. You know, that was, that was in that spirit, right? That right. tone. Right. Yeah. A lot of those crime movies in the 90s were like that. They were just exceedingly dark. Everybody was doomed. But they were... They were just fun to watch. They're know? just fun to watch, right? And I, like the Hong Kong, not so not so much the John Woo because he's like so over. He's great. I mean, he's, he's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He's so over the top. That, but they like some of the Ringo Lamb movies and the ones that are like a little a notch or two below John Woo. Mm-hmm. But they just have that sort of like anything goes. You know, anyone can get killed. The the, the wildness of it. Yeah. No. Exactly. 
And yeah. really, in, in movies or books, I just can't think of much. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, though. It's kind of nihilism with the fun, like, leached out of it. Yeah, <laughs> you it's, know? it's, it's, yeah, the, it's yeah. Thelma and Louise driving off the edge of the cliff, basically. Like, yeah, just, just yeah. that that spirit sustained through an entire... That's all I'm looking for. And it, I think it used to happen a lot with, um, with low-budget stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I think that what ended up happening was that... I know that there's still a low-budget scene, so to speak... But when I've done my investigations, which obviously have not been, you know, exhaustive because there's just so Mm. much out there. But from what I see, it's a lot of people because the quality of cameras have gotten so good and anybody can buy can spend you can spend a thousand dollars and have Hollywood quality visuals at least, you know. Mm -hmm. And, And so it just it feels a lot more like people trying to emulate Hollywood and and specifically Hollywood art films. Right, yeah, and then and then horror seems to have all the the teeth ripped out of it because it seems like just retreads over and over again of the same thing. Yeah, but what we're really missing is stuff like trauma. I think trauma's still around, <laughs> but we need yeah. we need that back, you know. And I think that people would think that that was counterintuitive, considering oh my god, we have a a trauma character in the White House. Like, why do we need trauma <laughs> films? But I would argue that we do. Like, we really we got to get back. We got to get our sense of humor back a little bit. Right. I think. Well, you know what I think too. I mean. It- in a way, like related to that, um, I was something I was like hung out of a couple of weeks ago. Like one of my best friends I've known since college, uh, since freshman year of college, and we he I think I mentioned him too. He, he's actually like lives in L.A. and he's made a living doing films and scripts since we left college. Mm. Got a Disney movie. I mean, it's like the classic. Like you know, he wanted to be the next great Bert, a great director who's yeah, going to yeah, win Oscars yeah. and this. And, but he's never like worth a real day in his life, if you want to put it that way. Uh-huh. Since college, eh? and he's a really nice house just below on the road up to the Griffith Observatory. So he's mm. done well. Mm. And his wife's in film too. His wife does costumes. She's done a lot, a lot of big, a lot of like really well-known films. So he's done very well. Just you know, he's made a very good living. He just didn't become the next Spielberg, but he never sure. worked either. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So, um, so his mother, his mother was old. She died a few weeks ago, and we had a little get. He was in the city in New York with about five friends. We've all known each other for years. Another guy from college was there. <clears throat> so somehow we were having pizza at uh, this apartment, and somebody said, "Like, okay, you know the way things are now, and just what do you go to when you're like down and the world's shitty and everything's going on, like to cheer you up." So we went around the table. There was some good, very different, you know, but most of the movies everybody picked were, you know, upbeat without being maudlin. These are all like people are pretty good, t- you know, yeah, good yeah. judgment in film, but they were all on the upbeat side. And I don't know, just out of the blood, it's like, I'm not sure. And right now it would be something like, I said, Gamora. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I explained explain what it is. And they said, Gamora. I said, yeah, because it's like the oldest. I, for me, something like that works because it's catharsis. Right. You know, it's the oldest, which is the oldest thing in the book. And that's like, you know, when I see something like that, when it's well done, it doesn't depress me. It makes me like just you feel purged of all the cur- You yeah. get it out by watching something. Right. And that's what that like, if you want to say nihilistic art or nasty art, when it's well done, what what does it accomplish? You feel, you know, going back to the ancient Greeks I mean, you can't go back. It's catharsis. It's yeah. not a negative yeah. thing at all. Yeah. And I think that seems to have been forgotten. Like you can be nasty. You can have all this stuff happen. If you do it well in a certain way, it doesn't depress people. It shouldn't, you know, I mean, unbalanced. It should serve as like, ah, 
That yeah, was kind of a release. No, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, feel, no, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned ancient Rome because I was thinking football, and then I was thinking uh, mixed martial arts. You know, and it's anytime mm. you take a practice that is antisocial, like fighting, right? Mm. Or in film, it could be literally anything that you want to put on film. It could be murder, mm. rape, theft, whatever. But mm. when you put it, when you shrink it down, and you contain it like that, when you contain an MMA fight to that small space. When you contain mm-hmm. these kind of base human desires to a small screen, because there's some, mm-hmm. well, some or sometimes a big screen, right? right. Uh, but a relatively small space compared to you know all of humanity, um, it it doesn't. I don't want to say it necessarily takes the power away from that thing, but it 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 relieves it of. No, I would say that it relieves it of a little bit of its power. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's kind right. of making it be. The, you know, um, it made me think of of just. I don't know, because the debate goes both ways, right? Like copycats and that guy who shot up the Batman theater and blah, blah, blah. But what are you going to even do about those people? Like those people are so sick and, you know, that goes back to mental health in this country and access to guns and blah, blah, blah. But I think art overall, I think it really helps. I mean, like we live in pretty much the safest time to be in America right now. Right. And uh, I think that movies have a part of that, man. I think I... That's always been the argument. But to me, that's really like a um, very lopsided argument. I think the healthful benefits of of art, let's, you know, a certain kind of art, like we're talking about an art that might be violent or, you know, that you're going to get that catharsis from or not. That kind of, a certain kind of nasty art or it could be violent art. Um, I think, it, you know, it, it, of course, the better the art, the better the production is, then the mm-hmm. better the effect. Mm-hmm. But by far, it has a healthful benefit compared to the people who shoot up theaters like Batman. That person in general would have been ticked off by something. You know, the art yeah. was the thing that they that they latched onto, and it's always easy to look at. You know, and in this case, it's example. It's it's made worse because here we have guns. So let's say they weren't guns. The person might have used a knife. They would have killed. They still would have done something. Yeah. That's how, in that case, you do have a person who's mentally ill, and it. Whatever the trigger was, it would have been something. If yeah. it wasn't art, it would have been. So I think it's way. I don't even think. To me, it's not even a. It's not even an argument. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, if it was football, you mentioned it would be a fifty-two to nothing game. Fifty-two right. to three. Yeah. <laughs> you know right. I mean? right. It's not even. A, you know, because the cathartic, the cathartic benefits way, and the number of people who get something out of it positive way outweigh the unfortunate few cases where someone was really sick and you know ill. Mm-hmm. And and acted in a way that's that's terrible. But no, I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can blame the blame the art for that. I, I really, I, just, I, I really don't. I just thought of the nastiest movie that I've seen in a long time. Did you ever watch Anti Birth? Mm, oh, I've heard a little about it. What is uh, that? About? Then what is that about? Oh, it's fantastic. It's got a Rosemary's Baby feel to it. So it's <laughs> okay. uh, it's starring this character who she played the the crazy inmate in Orange Is the New Black. Um, okay yeah i know okay I, I watched the first season of that yeah i know who she's you fantastic she she's got yeah. she's she's a great like she got that crazy look to her and she's kind of like mm. that in this movie so basically um she ends up pregnant uh without having ever really had sex and she's you know she's well she hasn't had sex recently right and mm-hmm. she's she's having these very 
cool but obviously disturbing psychedelic visions of people in masks you know performing some kind <laughs> of experiment or ritual on her but you know she's getting more and more pregnant and it's happening faster and faster right it's happening mm. over the course of like a week instead of nine months and she you know she's drinking and smoking and literally trying to kill the baby that's like in her this is our protagonist right <laughs> yeah, and yeah. There's, there's a lot of uh surprising character work I think Chloe Sevigny's in it too. I think she's. Oh really? The, I think wow. She's, she turned... I, why do I think that she's in it? Let me let me double check that because I'm going to be embarrassed if she's not. Maybe I think I just okay. I think I just put her into. No, yeah, Chloe <laughs> Sevigny is in it. Okay, good. She I, are, I'm, I'm well, not she pops up. In, yeah, yeah, that's she pops. Yeah, she pops I'm up. Just in thinking about Chloe Sevigny a lot. <laughs> I know that was that would have been a revelation. David was all. He seems to always have Chloe Sevigny on his mind. But anyway, but I don't. I, are you going to watch the movie? Uh, well, you can tell me. I'll watch it. Okay. Stuff, well, anyway. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so towards the end, you know, obviously you find out it's some kind of like experiment creature thing, right? That's in it. And uh, you think that there's going to be some kind of thing that she can do, right? But mm -hmm. she, she begins to give birth to this thing, and it's gigantic. <laughs> like, it just keeps coming out of her, right? <laughs> oh, and as know. it keeps coming out of her, it, like, sucks her up, dries her up into a prune. Like, into, like, she's, like, in Indiana Jones oh. Part 3. She, like, <laughs> descended. She, like, blood is coming out, and she's 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 imploding, basically. Oh, and my then, goodness. And then the monster comes out and starts killing everybody. And I'm like, <laughs> that is a commentary on how this person feels about motherhood. It's, it yes. sucks the life out of you, you know. It's this horrible <laughs> thing. But I was like that. But that was a movie that that said something. You know what I mean? I felt. Yeah. I felt. I felt something once that movie was done. And it's not a perfect film, you know. It's right. It's, right. It's far from a perfect film. But I I prefer that kind of thing where I'm like, oh, you had something to say. You weren't yeah, just yeah. repeating the fucking movies that you've already. Seen. You weren't remaking right. your favorite movie. You were saying right. something. No, that's a very. Now that you mentioned that, because it's a, since it's a horror movie, weren't I wasn't really thinking horror, but you're. That sounds. That definitely sounds like it qualifies. And there weren't like maybe how long ago was it now? 10, 15 years. It was like a little, like uh, boom, like when the, the Devil's Rejects. Remember those oh, movies? Yes, I do. Yeah, that, it's that, like the uh, it was off from Grindhouse, the the Tarantino Rodriguez split. That well, that was one. Yeah, that had kind of. What was, what was his name? Rob Zombie, the de the Devil's mm -hmm. Rejects, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and there were some f movies from France, uh, Martyrs. Did you see any of them? They were really, yeah. really nasty movies and really well done. And there's one with, um, if you haven't seen, because the birth, the thing with birth reminded me, Inside with Beatrice Dahl. No, did you ever see? Oh yeah, that's another. It's same. It this woman, uh, French. It's a French movie. This French woman winds up is in her house. It's really a terrifying movie, and it's very simple premise. This woman is absolutely like gets attacked, star and just stalked and sort of like terrorized in her own house by this crazy, crazy, crazy woman. She doesn't know why the woman's around. Who was and the crazy woman was Beatrice Dahl. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. And there's and there is an actual very good reason, and she's trying. And the woman's pregnant. The French, the other woman, and Beatrice Dahl is like keeps trying to kill her baby, stab her in the stomach, and everything, and she's terrorizing around the house. And then there's a reason why Beatrice Dahl is trying to get her and her baby. There was an accident and this woman, Beatrice Dahl, was pregnant and she was hit by this car. This other woman kind of in the rain. She wasn't like she was drugging and killed Beatrice's, Beatrice Dahl's baby in when okay. she was pregnant. Okay. 
Right. Um, and now she's completely unhinged and it's really, it's just very well done. Mm. And it has that kind of really nasty and, you know, not many people can be more menacing than Beatrice Dahl when she's sure. on a rampage. She's yeah. a, um, oh, she's great. But that, she's great. You know, there was that anti breath when you mentioned it, because it was the same thing. I was watching it as a, I don't know if it was the director. The director might have been a woman, might be a woman, French woman. But I, it's the same kind of thing I was thinking. This person, I think it's a woman, has issues with, you know, issues. I mean, then you're clearly getting a commentary of what they think parenthood might yeah, be or the yeah. terrors of, you know, <laughs> the same kind of, but yeah. yeah so they've been a, You know, what, one, I, one last one last thought I would do on this, uh, also just in nasty films. I can't believe I didn't think mm-hmm. of it right off the bat, but L, mm-hmm. I mean, L was probably the last one that was just kind of vicious, right? Which one? Oh, L, L yes, definitely. L, with yeah. Isabel Huppert. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a good one. Yeah, right. that, that was, That's that was kind of, right. That's the kind of stuff that I'm looking for, though. That really, like, that real uncomfortable shit, you know? Right, right. I don't know know what the director thinks. I don't know what the writer's trying to tell me. I I don't know what to think about this movie. It makes it feel human to me, right? Yes, right. And you could be conflicted about it and be like, that's, you know, offhand, I think that's probably the last, like, really good, nasty movie I've seen that I can think of, you know? That was that nasty. Sicario was good in the genre, but L was really because it gets into psychosexual stuff. It was great. Yeah. yeah. No, I love no, that you're kind right. of shit. I love yeah, that. Yeah. And then you know, I think that one of the things that might be flattening all this out might be all these uh, sensitivity readers. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> not not being dickish to anybody who's out there doing that. If you're doing that and then that's your hustle, God bless you. But yeah, I have thoughts about this shit. Uh, well, so do I, you know, it's really, I, you know, there's been, a, there's, there's been so much talk about it recently. I mean, I, I'm just assuming that everyone who actually does sensitivity, who does these, I mean, it sounds like tarot reading, a palm reading, the way you were describing it, but anyone who does sensitivity readings, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that their motives, that their motives are good. So let's just stipulate to that. Yeah, we don't right? have to be cynical about it. Sure. Right. Um, but I don't, the whole idea of it, I was having this discussion actually with somebody re- recently, um, and he had said, like, you know, um, sort of, um, you know, uh, just to be honest, or what's the word, disclaimer, that he had given somebody else that we know uh, this book to read for a sensitivity reading. And I was like, you know, am I feeling like if you're, let's say you're a white writer, mm-hmm. if you need to go, to a sense, you're right. You have some black characters. Just you could be anything. Let's say they're black characters, sure. right? You yeah. you need to go and get a, a reader who's black to give you a sense of. It just seems so inorganic. I mean, yeah. it's your job as a writer if you want to write. I because had this discussion many times. You know, in my opinion, um, I'm definitely of the opinion anyone can write about absolutely anything. Any color, any anyone can write it. It just has to be done well. The challenge is on you. It's going to be hard. It may be very hard. Yep. If I decide to write a book with you know all Chinese characters, that's going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, and make it very. But if I can do it, I should be able. And the issue of appropriation is a complicated one. But in theory, to me, ideally, anyone can write about anything. And then it, I'm not getting into the publishing and who gets published, but just like from pure writing. Yeah. And I have no bones about anyone. So it's the writer's job, but the flip side of that is it's the writer's job 
if you're going to write, if you're white, for example, and you're going to write about black characters, you shouldn't have to go like, let me make sure that I use the right words. What kind of a fucking writer are you? That's your job. Yeah. If you're going to write about a black character, you should know that character well enough that, you know, his ascent is the fact that he, that he or she is a black person. You shouldn't have to get a reading to tell you, oh, you shouldn't have used that word or that. Sure. It's, I, I just think it's. And then the person I was talking would say, well, look. If you write a story about lawyers, a law firm, don't you go for legal advice? I said, I don't think the two are, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, what do you, I don't think the two are exactly comparable. Of course. No, they're not comparable. That's a completely specious argument. That is one, because when you're, when you're looking um, for, when you're doing research on things, specifically, let's say you're doing research for, from like lawyers, you would be asking technical questions about their profession. Right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, when you're when you're talking to, to to black people, you're asking like what black people do. <laughs> it's like black people are not a fucking monolith, dude. So if you exactly. if you were if you were writing a lawyer character uh, and you wanted to get the legalese right, yeah, sure, ask and ask a lawyer. But if you want to get the character right, fucking hang out with a lawyer. God damn, right. man! Like, go hang out with some black people. And just right. just write what you hear. I mean, it's it's not rocket science, dude. This is right. not this right. is not difficult. I also think it just also seems like when I hear in that put it when I hear it put in that way, it's sort of like if it's that hard for you <clears throat> to write black characters or Asian characters or Hispanic characters, whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're the white writer and you go to us. Yes, that I am. Hello. That, Nice to meet you. No, right. <laughs> that means it's. It sounds to me. It sort of sounds to me like you're really trying to sprinkle in people of color, for example, mm. just to sprinkle them in. Otherwise, mm. you really wouldn't need a sensitivity reader. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I'm writing a story and it has all, um, you know, as a person who's you know, let's who's black, I'm, I'm not going to sprinkle in. Uh, a Puerto Rican and then go to a friend of mine who's Puerto Rican and say, can you like do a sensitivity? If there's, if I'll make someone Puerto Rican, if it's a suit or it's uh-huh. just, you know, that's part, but it just sounds like, why would you go to a sensitivity reader? Um, it sounds like you like, you want to be diverse. You now we're all into diversity. You want to have a diverse cast, mm-hmm. but now you got to get the right people to approve it. Then you probably shouldn't be writing. I don't, yeah. You know, yeah. take your chances. That you're going to be accused of not being able of having all white cast. Maybe you can't write black. You know, why are you having black characters in the first place if you need to go to a sensitivity reader? Well, yeah, and it's, you know, you know, and it's, it's, one of those it's bizarre. Well, it's one of those things. It is extremely bougie and kind of ivory tower thing that you're like, mm. you know, paying to make sure that you know you you get a different culture correct. It's so that's so silly to me. I do want to offer up. Um, not necessarily a counterpoint. I think this actually strengthens the the thing that I believe you and I agree on here, which is, so I was talking to a friend of mine who was editing an anthology recently, and mm-hmm. one of the stories, um, it had been edited by somebody before, and then another, this, my buddy came in to basically finish it up. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the stories that had already been approved had a character who was walking through a black neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, it was like, there were lines in it, like it was like walking into the dark heart of Africa. And he was like oh making it seem God. like a fucking jungle, dude. <laughs> you know, it's, it's this urban jungle, you know, with <laughs> like all these scary dark people, right? So that's, it's extremely embarrassing and racist right. and wrong mm-hmm. and bad. And, but I think the thing is, is that that shouldn't be published because that's bad writing. That is, 
whether or not it's racist, I think first and foremost, the thing that we have to look at, like, especially as writers, you know, as people mm-hmm. who, who, who purport to do this thing, at least, you know, semi-professionally, it's not a hobby mm-hmm. anymore for sure. Right. Um, right. We have to, we have to look at like, is the writing good or not? Right. And mm-hmm. th- there, perhaps there are ways of, of a person walking through a neighborhood and, you know, comparing a black neighborhood to a jungle, perhaps that could work. Right. If you, if it was satire, if you're, if, oh. you, if you're, if you're oh. eviscerating some, you know, ignorant asshole who wandered into the wrong neighborhood like you can do that kind of stuff no you could do that or you the person could be someone who's very insular was raised very you know like in an old white suburb and their parents were a certain way and that's the first time however it happens they're walking through and it might be scary you could that that would be legit totally legitimate i think you could do that absolutely Mm -hmm. you know without Mm -hmm. even it being satire or even racist if you create the context for that character's fear and ignorance when they're there, right? Yeah, Let's say you, right. you had a character, I don't know, a, youth, a Mormon from Utah who's never been in a black neighborhood in his life, he's in New York, somehow the car breaks down, it's like Bonfire the Vanity, or something, and he's in the middle of a black neighborhood, and he's a nice guy, or a nice woman, or something. Right, right. And they, this is something really alien to them, and they have preconceptions they've been raised with about what a black neighborhood's like. They've never been in a, without being racist, without being snarky, you could, you could, I think you could easily portray, you could, not easily, but you know, you could portray that in a very, and, and that would be totally legitimate because mm-hmm. that's the character. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but yeah, you would totally. show that that, but the kind, but the good writing there would be this character is a very limited scope and background. Mm-hmm. That's why they are that way. Mm-hmm. It's not the writers saying, oh, they were in the dark. It's the character's ignorance and, you know, fe- and lack of experience that leads them to see it that way. Exactly. Right? And I think I yeah. think that basically I think that what we're we're also kind of saying here is that it's like what exactly are your motivations for for hiring well, you know what? I don't even want to put it in terms of of like the economics of it because again, I don't want to like if if you want to go pay somebody to do this, I'm not trying to take food out of anybody's children's mouth. Right, so right. please do go <laughs> go pay for it. Go do what you want. We are right. opining at the moment on uh, the <laughs> the lack of intellectual integrity of the entire yeah. enterprise. Um, basically that. Right? But but yeah. okay. So basically, so let's say you go to one of these folks and you're going to get it. What exactly are you trying to accomplish? All right. So I feel like <laughs> there there are a couple of options here. Option number one is you are let's say you're just a genuinely good person. Uh, and you just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Fine. Right. Why the fuck are you an artist? What are you doing? Yeah. You know what right. I mean? That's, like, yeah. you are too sensitive for this. Like, that's not mm-hmm. what this thing is. Nobody's going mm-hmm. to be nice to you. You don't owe anybody niceness. You owe them good mm-hmm. fucking art, right? Mm-hmm. And I would argue that writing that has been uh, sort of scanned, not for its artistic quality or its lack of typos, but for its ability to tow a party line is not good art it's not going to be good art right right? at least those sections aren't going to be good art right right? um so okay so like the second thing is like you want to and this is this is where the cynical david comes out right um but if you want to like advance your career right if you want to seem Mm. kind of woke with your writing right that to me you know that this we've talked about this before that sets my teeth on edge right yeah no i I couldn't i couldn't agree more that that, then that's just it's pure Careerism, cynicism, opportunism, right. all of that. Right. 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 Yeah. Or cowardice, 
right? So basically what I would say, because in, in my new book, I actually, hey, plug here. I do have a black <laughs> character and I do have white characters and I have them saying ignorant shit to each other within the book, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a line where the guy tells the other guy's name and the narrator's like, at first I thought that was like a black slang, so I didn't respond. And I realized, oh, that shit, that's his name, right? You know, which is something that I've done before because I'm an ignorant white person, right? That happens, um, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so like, so I have that in, so basically the, 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 the point that I'm making is that, you know, when you're doing art, it's your job to like cross boundaries, make mistakes, uh, get people upset. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's, I thought, Absolutely. That, also, I thought, I thought that's literally you know, what we're I, here for. No, I think that's true. And I also think, how did, it, somehow the whole enterprise, the whole artistic enterprise has been twisted where, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. I'm just All right. All right. The whole enterprise has been twisted where, like when you think of writers you've read any, from any period, you know, mm-hmm. it could be old, it could be new, 70s, 80s, 1830, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that may, I, I, one of the things that makes writers writer, you know, artists, not just writers, but artists, artists is they're expressing themselves and they like anyone else, they're flawed or they're in mm-hmm. off balance. Um, what's his name died today? I put a post on it because I think he's one of my all time favorite writers, V.S. Nightfall. Nightfall, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great, great, great writer. Yeah, he was. Uh, um, aside from his personal, his personal, his personality, because he was a he was a difficult character, thorny, mm-hmm. wasn't always the most pleasant person. There's there've been commentaries. There's been a lot. Of, there's been commentary over the years about how he portrays black characters in some of his books, mm-hmm. and I think some of that criticism is sometimes true. He's sure. got a kind of sneering quality to him about it. He, yeah, I don't know if he's racist per se, but he's, there are some issues there. I don't think that's totally off mark necessarily. He's like a Bill Cosby, things. pull your pants up racist. Well, even that he's more complicated. <laughs> he's a lot more complicated and intelligent than Cosby, that's for sure. Uh-huh. But the point is, like when I read Nightfall, I, I, you know, I know Nightfall after you read him. These are the, you know, he's a, he's brilliant. He's in a, he's the most brilliant, you know, one of the most brilliant analyzers of the post-colonial era, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, a very exciting time, you know, post-colonial time. He also has, he has his, he has his prejudice, his prejudices. He, um, he has his hangups and that's Dipol and any other great writer in a nutshell, you know, in, in whole, I like them whole. When I read Norman Mailer, I get the Norman Mailer who is really funny and is a brilliant analyzer of certain things. Mm-hmm. And a Norman Mailer who looks at women is going to stab his wife. That's yeah. Mailer. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean he's not with his ugliness, but he's a sensitivity readings. You're going to get like what? Some sort of homogenized. There will not right. be a Mailer or, or a Naipaul. Definitely it's not going to be a Mailer or a Naipaul anyway. But right. you know what I mean. Yeah. You're not going to get the artist. With the flow, that's I like to read people. I like to when I see a movie too. All right, this I know Sam Peckinpah from his movies, and I know this he had all sorts of issues, but that's him. Mm-hmm. If I get Sam Peckinpah after a sensitivity edit, I'm right. not gonna know who this person is, right? Well, who the hell know, knows? And I, I think right now, uh, this may be. I mean, well, it definitely is a good thing. I mean, I think that what is happening now, I, th- <laughs> I think white males specifically are are running so scared, like they're so scared of stepping on toes that yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one good thing is that 
a lot of a lot of women and people of color are rising to the occasion and putting out some mm. really fucked up shit. And I, mm, I can appreciate yeah. that. I'm thinking of That's like good. I'm thinking of like Otessa Moshfeg's Eileen, who had, which had a really nasty um, uh, protagonist, right? I don't mm, know. Yeah, well, narrator at least. Um, there's Melissa Broder's The Pisces, which has which is apparently just very gross and kind mm. of in your face. I didn't read that one, so I can't 100% speak for that. But then you have uh, Alyssa Nutting's Tampa, which Tampa, is, yeah, which is sure. super nasty and gr- like that yeah. might be one of my favorite books of the past decade, just because it's so just raunchy and irreverent. So yeah. people seem to be That's doing good- that, but it's kind of like white dudes are at this Why point right now stand? where they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. we don't want to step on any toes. And then, you know, I mean, there I'm, unfortunately I don't really, I, I don't know if I've read very much by people of color this year, unfortunately. Mm. So I can't really super speak to that. I do know that people in South America are making pretty fuck. Like I read a uh, come madre by Roque. Uh, fuck. I can't remember. I'll put it in the show notes, but anyway, yeah. that, that, I mean, that was a pretty, that was a book about, a group of scientists who work at a sanitarium who decide to um, prove or disprove the rumor that uh, consciousness exists after death. And they do that by finding suicidal patients who opt, who agree to have their heads lopped off and they like (laughs) create this system with artificial lungs so that for the 10 seconds after the head is lopped off, the head can talk. Right. (laughs) And it has one of the most brilliant sections in the middle of that book where it's a list of the final words of these people. And it's like (laughs) banal and weird and then oddly profound and disturbing. It's, and then the book kind of goes off the rails after that. And there's a, it leaps a hundred years into the future and there's a performance artist who's cutting off parts of his body. And it just, it doesn't work (laughs) quite as well. My point being is that people are definitely kind of stepping up, but I don't, (laughs) I don't see my white brothers doing no, uh, no. very much at all it, because they're all they're they're shook right now. They're, sh- they're, they're either, shook. They're either on the left and they're shook, or they're on the right and now they're racist. Right. No. That's. No, that's. I think the other the foot. No. I. I think you're right. Or well, South Americans. You know, since since the the last for the last forty years, there's been like no slackening of South American greatness. I mean, it really hasn't. No, no, Latin that's, American that's true. writing greatness since you know. The Marquez generation, it's, it's really incredible. I mean, it's like going on 50 years now, right? It really hasn't slackened. One generation was replaced by another, and, you know, there's some overlap. but And they've just, just been wave after wave. It's really amazing. You know, it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, but, also, I have to do a quick caveat because I was thinking about it more, and it's like, of course, I only have read what one human being is capable of reading. You no, know. me too. You yeah, know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. I, could, I could be completely talking out of my ass here, but my impression from our social circles and from the books that kind of fall into my lap it, mm-hmm. it does kind of seem like people are sort of like just keep a low profile yeah make a nice little well, comfortable science fiction book you know? well i think the yeah you know i i think the and i think the flip side is because like this is like sort of the flip side of the sensitivity thing which i often hear is um and it goes like to the whole appropriation thing is um you know, let's say you're white or non, non, not black. You could be whatever, not black. Sure. Um, uh, you know, are you are you going to, because I asked this to somebody recently. I, I think you're the kind of writer, this per- person I was talking to, who's, uh, you know, I projected. It was like, me. you believe anyone can write about anything. If It all depends on the quality. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, and you, you'll hear people say like, well, I'd be really hesitant to write a black character now because there's no way I could, 
Um, there's no way I could honest, you know, accurately portray what it feels like to be a black person in America right now. That is correct. This this phrase to me, I hate. I can't. Yeah. St- and it's not only limited to black. If someone said, I can't say what it feels like to be a Chinese person or mm-hmm. uh I find this is so ridiculous. Well, here's, well, here's, here, here's the second half of what I was going to say. It's like, that's correct. Yeah. But that is correct of any person who is not you. Well, no, but also, I mean, more specific, like with writing, you're not right. You, if, if I set out to write, oh, let's reverse it. Okay. Yeah. I'm black. I'm going to write a white character. No one would how say, you? well, not that no one would say, how do you know what it feels like to be a white person in America? They would say, if it's white, more likely than not, how how is that? Did you portray that specific character? If I write a, if you're white, you write a black character. You're not talking necessarily. You shouldn't be thinking even. I'm portraying black people. You're portraying one person. Yes. One black. If you can nail that one black character, like Flannery O'Connor said, start specific. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry about black people in America. If you're gonna write about Mexicans, don't worry about. It. If you're going to write about a Mexican character, a, a Latin American a character who comes up from Guatemala, I mean, that would be a challenge. If, you, if you're white in New York or, or me, mm-hmm. I'm going to write about a, I, you know, I would have to have a damn good reason to do that. And I have a very strong handle on that character. Obviously, I better or I shouldn't do it. But I'm not necessarily trying to write about all Guatemalans coming up. If I nail that one Guatemalan, Maybe I'll be saying something about, by extension, of course, about Latin Americans coming. But this is ridiculous. You can mm-hmm. you can write. You know, you're trying to nail one character. If you're a man and you write a, uh, you have a central character who's a woman, are you writing about all women? That's absurd. Right, right. I'm writing about that woman. Hopefully, it's a good character. You know, hopefully that character will will have enough resonance that it reflects other women but i'm not writing about every woman in the, sure. that's absurd i yeah. find this complete this statement to me is so ridiculous and that's a part of what the part of what the problem is well no totally I can't and speak for who's who asked you to speak for a black, just write one good black character and then we'll see where we are yeah. you're trying to create that guy and that or that woman in that situation in that city or in that town and then if it's done well there'll be resonance that's it yeah yeah, you no, no, that. I totally, and I think that it You're goes, it goes, that. it goes back to this thing that I always think of, this quote that I always think about, and it was, uh, it was Grant Morrison, the comics writer who uh, wrote Batman for a while, and mm-hmm. somebody once asked him uh, some nerdy question, you know, what, what kind of engine does the Batmobile have in it or something, and he <laughs> okay. leaned into the mic and he was like, it's fiction. There is no engine in the Batmobile. And so for this, like, you don't really know what it feels like to be X, Y, Z in this day and age. It's like, yeah, it's fiction. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, if you're not smart enough to understand that, you know, I am a white guy who's writing a black character through a white prism as best as he can and not find something interesting that could be found within that, that's Mm. interesting to me. Like a black dude writing about a white guy or a Chinese guy or a Jewish guy writing about a Protestant, you know, like that to me is interesting. I want to see it through your filter. Like what do you see? You know, what are your impressions? I want to see it through that filter and – Again, I mean, from just from the writing perspective, you know, I'm always like back to basics from the writing perspective. If there's a reason, you know, you if you if it's an organic reason or you just you had an idea, I'm going to write a character who's who's um, 
who's black. I'm white. I have my main character is black. That's the, that's the story that came to me. You don't have to be cowed by does this person. You know, what is it like for this person for all black people and Donald Trump's you know in America today? You get get that character. You know that you're writing about one person with his quirks or her quirk. You know that character's quirks and their idiosyncrasies, like every other human being, and they ha- and they are black and they're in a certain. And then if it's really well done, you know, um, then you've got then you've got something <laughs> mm-hmm. and there will be resonance. There'll probably be something like other black people. They may even be like other white people, because you know what? There are actually people, all of them. I mean, it's, this is absurd to me. Mm-hmm. I really find this to be, you know, this this grandiose. There's a pretension there. There is like, a pretension. Who, who is asking you, Mr. or Ms. Writer? That you're going to speak for all black people or all right. it's right. absurd that's a great point that is a great it's, point it's, it's ridiculous it's like what do you think you we're know? doing here we're we're writing story we're telling stories you know like <laughs> we're not story. we are not the, I, you know i was thinking about this today and i'm gonna develop this thought more so it doesn't sound so dumb but i think that a lot of people got get high on imagining quotes that people will say about their body of work because you mm. see that all the time you know when people write about vs naipaul they're going to talk about what his career meant and what his body of work his oeuvre like mm. meant you know what i mean and i think that writers in our heart of hearts in our little arrogant heart of hearts we see that and we're like what is my oeuvre like what is my what is what is my body of work saying about that? Like I would, and I'm like, you know what, you know what, mine is gonna look like. It's gonna look like a bunch of trashy shit that was pretty fun and occasionally very insightful, and hopefully people liked it. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the end. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. that's what I like doing. I didn't get involved in this to become the savior of the universe. Comics are having a real problem with this right now too, where all of a sudden oh, comics yeah. have to be the fucking truth tellers of the world. You know, it's like oh. I, I love George Carlin as much as the next guy, but no, com- comics are there to make you laugh first. Yeah, they're to make you, right, right. And, and no, writer, are. writers are there to write books, which the, the where it's a little bit different from comedy. Obviously, is that there's different genres of books, and you know, you the, each book has different goals. But I don't understand why there's this flattening, right? There's this pastel colored flattening of everything into these into these planes of mediocrity, where we're all yeah. going to be. We're going to make sure that we don't stepping on toes. I think Zizek talks about this a lot. You know how you mm. ma- he made friends with like Slovenians or something by telling dirty jokes to them and like being a little mm. like, like racist towards them. I wouldn't go that far because <laughs> I'm not brave enough to do right. that. But yeah, that yeah. that's what art's doing. Right, like that's that's in a lot of ways what art is doing. It has to be brash. You have to step on toes. You're gonna hurt people's feelings. And as long as you're not being like Jim fucking Goad and writing the yeah. N word every other word in your redneck manifesto book, because that guy is pretty much exiled. Uh, but rightly so. I mean, like, look at that. You can. I think well, again, it, it, pro- it proves our point to like look at the hyperbole of it. Like, look at Jim Goad's writings, and it's like, okay, yeah, maybe don't don't do that. Right. Right. But there's, well, there's again, again, generally speaking, you know, that kind of stuff fails because it's just bad writing. It's just not yeah. good. Yeah. You know, right. yeah. It, it, um, something that genuinely disturbs that is, you know, there's something that might be offensive, like William S. Burroughs was offensive. And there's something offensive, like what, what you are describing. One is offensive in a certain way for all the good reasons, you know, Mm -hmm. at the time, you know, at the time it's written for all the good reasons. And the other is probably a failure because it's just shitty writing. And it's just, you know, there's nothing. It's propagandistic. It's racist. It's just bad writing. 
And ultimately, it fails for that reason. So that's another reason why, you know, you're right, this sort of flattening and people are afraid, they sort of conflate like, um, you know, if something is disturbing and upsetting, and it may not be perfect, but is just a good piece of, you know, I don't mean good, just technically, like the grammar is good, but you know, a good book. Yeah. Um, and then something is just like, you know, a veiled, you know, attack on, you know, a veiled support of white supremacists or something. The other book fails, not just because the ideas are bad, you know, it's racist, but it, usually when the ideas are that bad, the writing is generally, generally bad. I mean, can mm -hmm. you think of a great, a really, like, honestly, oh, there man. are many great racist masterpieces. No. No. There aren't. No, the no. The two generally don't go hand in hand. No, they don't. don't. Go hand they, in hand. they don't. And conversely, yeah. there aren't too many, you know, masterpieces of wokeness either. You know what I mean? Right. Like, no, exactly. That's it's like good, it's conversely, like, exactly. I, I, right. I, ideologically based art is should be at least it, that should be an oxymoron, right? Like you should not have ideologically based art. Right. I mean, well, I mean, and that's, within and, and within that's different when, gradations, right? Like they're, they're no, maybe a yeah. little bit. Well, when you ideologically based art. I, let's put it this idea ideology shouldn't be the main driver yeah. of the art and can, that's one reason john why Milius. you can be a john Milius and still make great films you know yeah yeah you could you can be a very ideological person but if you if the ideology is the main the thing that's first and foremost and up front in the art it probably will be crummy art and i think that's one reason why how much great um Serious. I mean, it's in all seriousness, how much great Nazi art was there? How much great Stalin era art that's really ideally, oh, ideologically so driven? It's how so much bad. great Chinese Maoist art was there? That's the kind. And they're all different. You know, there's a there's a big difference between the ideology of, of Stalin and of Hitler. I mean, you know, in practice, they're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But 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 in terms of how much the Russians turned out under Stalin more good art obviously than the Nazis did but like if you think of like the it's a, right, the, the uh, communist era schlock mm -hmm. it's terrible right mm -hmm. it's yeah. all that ideological it's terrible oh yeah and the of course Nazis yeah. Made, the Nazis made a lot of films in Germany during the war under the Nazis you know a lot of the great directors left they still had their big films too they made a lot of these sort of you know, feel good Nazi era type how many of those films are considered great films zero basically mm-hmm yeah. Um, so that again, further proof whether it's now it's wokeness or white supremacists or race that kind of thing. But any I can't think of, through history. I, can you really name like how many great eras that were ideologically driven governments no. produced? It, it's you know because it doesn't work. No, <laughs> it's not really. Bad no. Art. no, I really, right. I honestly can't think of it. You know, I'm even not a fan of like Shepard Fairey's art you know that political like he did the obama hope poster right mm -hmm, he does this yeah. kind of politically thing i don't even really like banksy's art you know it's because it's, it's, too, it's, it's, yeah. too, it's too preachy you know what i mean it's, mm. it's trying to tell me something and there's a very like when you when you start trying to tell people something you're almost an advertisement at that point you know you're like mm -hmm. your your art has turned into a billboard and you can yeah. have funny billboards and you can have creative billboards i think but i would never call a billboard art ever Right. There's no right. billboard that I would call a piece of art. Ever. A piece of right. Yeah, it could be very entertaining and so right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so no, I I think that's one that's one thing, you know, now like people who anyway, people who are quote unquote woke, forgetting mm -hmm. about like the, 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 the white supremacist side of it now, uh -huh. whatever, the races. Um, I just don't think they equate since they're since for the most part they're convinced that they're you know, that they're on the 
the side of the just, which, you know, I mean, compared to, obviously they are compared to whites. Well, they are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's, that's one thing. But that doesn't translate into good art. Exactly. And I think they seem to forget, like, they think because we're on the side of the, we're on the good side, we just have to, you know, present our wokeness in our, in our work. Yeah. And that means it's going to be good work. Not, no, not really. No, not no, true. No, <laughs> you know, no. that's not. It really you know, doesn't. It really doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I do think I think that these these are large groups of people. Um, I think that they're obviously small relative to the entire population, but they are large groups of people that think this way, and it just it ends up. We're in weird times right now, man. Oh, we're on, people, we people are. getting fired for stuff, and I don't. I just I'm really anti-firing any of these people because it it all tends to be the the Streisand effect, the like the Barbara Streisand effect. Mm. I think it was maybe in the eighties when she found out people were taking pictures of her, you know, lavish multi million dollar home. And mm-hmm. she she went public and was like, I don't want anybody taking pictures of my house. Don't take fucking pictures of my house. And then uh, of course what did that do? People were like, Oh hey, that seems like something I want to go take a picture of. You know? <laughs> right, of and so that's that's my typical thought when it comes to you know like these people getting fired or what have you it's like why are you they're gonna go to patreon and make a hundred thousand dollars a month now you know like that's that's what what you do when you ban these people they go and they make millions of dollars off of it it's the best marketing stunt that you could possibly pull it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt people you mean so somebody like james gunn or you know well he'll bounce back in his own way but i mean people i'm thinking specifically of somebody like um Oh, I don't know, like Jordan Peterson, right? Somebody who gets kind mm. of like shunned from his his community for his views, but now he makes eighty thousand dollars a month on Patreon, making God knows what kind of videos. I don't I don't keep up with that guy, but you know, it's it's they they end up having these sort of. I mean, I'm sure Infowars is going to be huge now. I'm sure they got like tens of thousands of signups once YouTube kicked him off, and that's money directly into his pocket that he wasn't making through YouTube. You know? Right, right. No, Could have been the best thing that happened to him. Yeah, incredibly. I mean, I, that's a tough. I mean, it's a tough one. It's like, you know, the rules of the, the rules of the market are. I mean, they're complicated, but to some extent, you know, I do think if it's a if it's a capitalist market, it's like you know with Bill O'Reilly and the others. Um, <clears throat> if I mean, there's so much hypocrisy. You know, finally, when someone gets caught and nailed, then the station will act or something. You know, like with Fox, like firing O'Reilly and firing this. Uh-huh. Right? It took them long enough to do all that stuff, right? Until they really had like no choice. Right. But um, those are kind of the rules. I mean, I don't really feel sympathy for anyone who's fired by a private, uh, you know, <clears throat> basically a lot of these people are sort of like, I'm a capitalist and it's survival of the fittest and free enterprise rules. But then when it turns against them and boycotts are organized, then they start to whine. No, you know, that's the rule. Now you're the one who's under the microscope and people are boycotting you and they want to get rid of you because now you're not marketable or you're hurting the, you're hurting the big conglomerate's profit line. Regardless of what will happen to you later, tough shit. I really don't mm-hmm. feel sorry for them. I yeah. really don't. I mean, yeah. that's, kind of, that's kind of the rule of the game. Yeah. Um, and most of them are hypoc- very hypocritical in that respect. You know, it's basically like almost all of these types of people are free marketers until something about the free market turns against them then they whine and complain about conspiracies and i find it's that to be really if, it's really hypocritical the, it's almost as if there's a problem with the free market 
It's well, no, that's another issue. <laughs> of course. I mean, the fact yeah, that no, that's the way yeah. it is. That's, no, that's, that's, that's a I agree. Yeah. That's for sure. I stipulate yeah. to that. But you can't have it both ways. I mean, um, you know, I mean, I, like, I feel zero sympathy for, uh, what's his name? Inf- you know, Mr. Infowars. Uh, we, we don't you know, he's probably going to, you know, he's not even censored. I mean, he got kicked off a few things. Now more people, enter, you know, will buy his app. You know, so, you know, I mean, it's a, he, it may be the best thing that happened to him, mm-hmm. but I don't even see that as, that's not even real, actually, not even really censorship. You know, some companies banned them, and then he goes somewhere else. That's that's also the free market. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, censorship, you know, his life is not in danger. He's mm-hmm. not being put in, threatened with jail. That's censorship. Mm-hmm. You know, he's really muzzled. He can't say what he wants to say ever again over a period of years. So the people have to download his app. Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's not it's, it's not even really censorship in that yeah. regard. Yeah. It's a false censor. It's a very tepid censorship. Mm-hmm. He's not on YouTube, but now you can people can download his app. Is that <laughs> the same as a guy who gets thrown in jail in Putin's Russia? I mean, yeah. I mean what are we comparing here? It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, no. Yeah. No, no. I, there's I, no I victim, agree with There's you. no victimhood there. There's right. absolutely no victimhood there. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I mostly agree with you. I'm actually glad that not a few days later, um, Facebook, it came out that Facebook has been uh, kind of being run by these old neocons, basically, like by, <clears throat> by a, 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 it takes its orders from a neocon think tank, because I was like, <clears throat> oh, finally, I can talk about the overarching issue that I actually care about without having to even seem like I'm remotely uh, defending Alex Jones, you know, uh, I think. But I will say one thing that Glenn Greenwald had a great quote about this. He's a journalist who I really respect. Mm-hmm. And it was something to the effect of, you know, it's like when when a giant sort of fascistic apparatus, governmental or otherwise, wants to normalize something, they mm-hmm. start by practicing on the people that the populace hates to begin with. You know what I mean? So Alex Jones was like the test. Right. And fuck him. Who cares? He, he can he can cry. He can do whatever. Mm. But I guess when I see that, I just I see um, that, you know, not two days later, they shut down um, an anti unite the right thing, like a protest of a Nazi rally on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They started taking those pages down. They took down uh, some black rights pages. You know what I mean? They, they 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 didn't do that first. They did Alex Jones first. So it's like, look, you know, we're taken down. And Alex Jones is like, he's friends with Donald Trump. You know what I mean? It's like, he's right. like you know, so it's like, oh, we're taking down, you know, the right or whatever. And then all of a sudden, all these lefty pages start disappearing. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, see, this is, but you know, it's also, here's, here's the meta point, right? What you're saying is correct. I think what I'm saying is also correct. But I think what we're both saying um, is that this is just kind of the way shit works, man. Like there's no, yeah, there's right, nothing right, which is not a good and the way she works is not. No, it's don't not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not saying like that's yeah. a nice thing or a good thing, right? Of but course. it's also like you um, know to to avoid complete hopelessness. I mean, I do think I, we have to start thinking about like what we can do do to work within this system because let's be realistic, man. I mean, Facebook's not going anywhere. Apple's not going anywhere. Google's right, not going, right. These places are not going anywhere, and they're also right. probably not going to listen to the voices of either the people saying bring Alex Jones back or the people saying like, hey, that's an overreach of power because they don't care, you know. Right. So it's kind of like. It's all it's all in a way a moot point. So being that it's all moot, I can just take pleasure in that toad man getting banned. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean I don't see. I, I'm I'm wondering. Like I really wonder if 
Um, it's hard. I mean, this we always have this, thing, and it's fun actually. It really is because yeah. we definitely have a little bit of a a point. Like if like you know the Beatles, one guy's a little more of a sentimentalist, Paul McCartney. Right. The other guy's more rough edge, you know, Lennon. Right. If we were like a, a band, like the, the the conspiracy, we'd have the conspiracy slash anti conspiracy. You're like Mister Conspiracy, yep. and until we break up, you know, like all yep. bands do. Right. You know, I just couldn't take it anymore. Right, you didn't right. see reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would have we, we would have a very interesting tension. I don't. Yep. I agree. There are conspiracies exist. I'm not like nothing ever exists. But we, I'm never, I'm always a little bit more leery, I think, than you are mm-hmm. in terms of like, was this something really, like, I mean, they banned Alex Jones. I mean, that, that happened. Was that something where that's like they're going to go after him first because he's hated, then as a pretext to get others? It, it could be. I'm not saying no. I mean, I definitely don't, I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly something that's possible. There's no question, especially considering who's in charge here, you know, who's running these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, again, I, it's very hard. Some of the, and I don't think all of them are the same either. Like Apple is probably somewhat different than Facebook. It's somewhat different than YouTube. Facebook seems a bit more sinister than any of them at this, at this no, it point. Is. It 100% <laughs> is, yeah. But, yeah. You know, but um, so I don't, it's just, you know, it, it's just hard to know whether they kind of just want to sort of, you know, tepid, centralism you know sort of expressed through a lot of their so they'll start with someone on the right if they're going to have a plan start with an alex jones i agree that would be the best way to do it you know and then kind of surreptitiously yeah i don't know i just don't it's, well, it's I think, really i, I just i know. think i think basically what's what's happening is that i i do think that um how do i put this especially with places like facebook i'm very wary of the government and I know that's a very general term. You're like, wait, what the fuck? I work for the government, but like, I'm, I'm worried about. The, I work for I'm, city government. Yeah. Yeah, oh, city government. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just worried about like Facebook coming in because the main goal of what Apple, Facebook, and Google are doing is they're trying to combat fake news, right? They're, right. They're trying to shoot, which is a legitimate concern. It really, sure, objectively speaking, sure. that's a real concern. Sure, but again, this is where that that Lennon McCartney dynamic comes in, right? Where I'm mm. like, they're going to use that as cover, right? <laughs> they're going to use the going after quote-unquote fake news as cover. What did Yoko, to... what did Yoko Ono do to you? She just yeah, totally destroyed uh... you. <laughs> she's an artist, man. She's on She's on this song where I'm out, dude. I don't know what to tell you. But yeah, no, I think, oh, actually, you know what? We went way over time. Um Oh yeah, yeah. We we just get to talking and we just just go back and forth like this. But of course, (laughs) come back anytime. Disagree with me on stuff anytime. We can talk conspiracies. We can get really into it. And uh, okay. But uh, thank you so much for your time, sir. This is great, and I will. uh, I'll probably talk to you in like a couple days. (laughs) Fun as always, and I don't know who. Yeah, a couple days. And my only question is, who was listening to us on this conversation? (laughs) 